We're in a series called The Recovery of Lost Joy. This is part five. And I want to talk to you about the title I've given this is The Unnatural Role of Faith in Trying Circumstances. In other words, in trying circumstances, faith isn't something that we always find easy or convenient. There's a, there's a fight of faith, a battle for faith. The unnatural role of faith in trying circumstances. The text is Matthew 14, 22 to 33. <clears throat> Follow along. And immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So close of kind of a big ministry time. 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. Jesus is coming down. He's still on the shore. The boat's quite a ways out, and there's a brutal storm. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. They cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, God bless Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Peter got out of the boat walked on the water, came to Jesus. Amazing. 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, began to sink, and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Sure, after they're in the boat. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. It's an important story for us because it shows faith in both its ups and downs. And I didn't mean that as a joke. An incredible start by Peter, a very human, maybe a bit of a disappointing lapse, though I can understand it. If it's, if it's really you, Lord, that's all I need out of the boat on top of the troubled waves, the wind blowing Peter's hair all over the place, walking on the water, and then this sudden turn. Help! The waves are too much. I'm drowning. So the whole journey's there. That's the greatness of this account. From trust, obedience, power, glory, to panic, fear, and failure. Right there in blessed Peter. It all happens so fast, it probably left Peter's head spinning. I think we all know what this is about in different ways. Change can happen so fast. The unexpected takes place. What seems stable and confident 
is shaken. 1431, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus asked the only question that matters, four simple monosyllabic words. Why did you doubt? And the important point for our consideration, I think, is what kind of tone do you hear in Jesus' voice when he says those words? I don't think they were words of exasperation. Like, Peter, what in the world are you doing? What kind of weak need Christian are you anyway? I don't hear it that way. And I don't say that because I don't think Jesus sometimes was very stern and blunt. One of the worst things we do with dramatic presentations of Jesus, especially old movies, you know, where... The disciples gather around Jesus and said, look, the master is about to speak. And then you hear this choir in the background. And there's a glow around Jesus. That's one of the worst things we do. I think Jesus sometimes was very blunt and straightforward. Sometimes he was angry. I have a book in my library I'm really enjoying called The Things That Made Jesus Mad. And there's lots of things that made Jesus mad. We just don't think of him that way. But I don't think in this case, those are words of just frustration or exasperation. I think Jesus is inviting Peter, and through this account, we, Peter, you you need to understand, you need to learn what went wrong here, Peter. Why why did you doubt? There are life-giving lessons for the life of faith, especially in trying circumstances, and I want to try and look at some of those lessons tonight, though we're well into it now. But, point number one, faith must be constantly exercised in following Jesus. I suppose that's the obvious thing, first of all, in this passage. It's not that Peter lacked faith. You can't say that. He walked on the water. None of the other disciples did. None of the others even wanted to. Good for you, Peter. I think it's too bad that everybody remembers Peter sinking beneath the waves, but that's a bit of a bum rap. Actually, Peter walked on the water twice in this account. But something happened to his faith in the process. The the storm gets the best of him. The waves capture his attention. They overwhelm him. The faith he started out with, man, he starts off great, doesn't he? The faith he starts out with somehow wanes or loses focus. And so I'm learning, I'm learning, faith isn't sort of an automatic spiritual process. You can't just set it and forget it with faith. It can wane. I must not presume a heart and a mind of faith in all circumstances. I can never be lazy or careless about the exercise of faith. The same lesson actually comes out in another passage of Scripture, Luke 8, 22 to 25. Is that in your notes? Okay. It's a similar situation, but different. One day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. 
And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, looks at the disciples. Where, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying one to another, Who then is this that he commands the winds and the water, and they obey him? So you see now the same thing. It's, it's the very same question Jesus asks in slightly different words, but it's the same issue. Where, where did your faith go? That's what he's asking Peter, too. What happened to it? What caused its decline or weakness when it was most needed? And Jesus seems to be driving home the very same point over and over again. I always need to be applying my faith. Faith isn't something that sits inside you like your appendix or your gallbladder. Faith has to be mentally processed and exercised on an ongoing basis. It's not automatic, not for anybody. I need to constantly be applying my faith in following Jesus. I can never just live off my conversion. And I think that's an issue. I think it's very easy, mostly in North American Christianity, not globally, but in North American Christianity. Church life can pick a path of action that will never work well for very long. The normal road can seem to be pretty well choreographed. You get saved. You appreciate that you're forgiven. We trust we're going to heaven when we die. And then we proceed to live off the conversion experience. Yes, I was saved. December 1966. Praise God. And I do praise God. That's a great miracle. Usually then, nothing but some kind of difficult situation, some tragedy, some trial, then will bump that believer into, okay, I've got to process this. I've got to think about this. Jesus teaches something really important here. The believer needs to constantly expend great energy squeezing his faith into the battles and trials of life. There are obstacles. There are temptations. Paul writes of the fiery darts of the wicked one. There's the pull of the world. There's the deceitfulness of our own hearts. There's the wiles of the devil. You never do get to coast. So all that means there's nothing about my Christian life that can be put on just on an automatic pilot. The whole Christian experience in this world is called the fight of faith for a pretty good reason. Here's here's what I'm saying. Simple as I can make it. The faith that gets you out of the boat is not enough to keep you on top of the waves. There's a connection between things like church attendance and victory in daily life. There's a connection between obedience and a strong marriage. There's a connection between prayer and Bible study and a pure life morally. So understand it well. Peter's problem is not that he has no faith. Look at it. He recognizes Jesus. He loves Jesus. He has great confidence in Jesus. He obeys Jesus. 
That's what makes Peter get out of the boat. That's all good. Everything's good there. His problem is like mine, maybe yours. He doesn't always work out that faith very well once he's on his journey. All he figured out was how to start out. He hadn't really planned on how he was going to continue. So you see there's this wear and tear in the journey. Life affects, it affects us spiritually. You can keep track of it or not think about it, but you're still affected by it. Your faith doesn't maintain itself. It's exercised in hard-fought battles. It's stretched and toned as we guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, point number two. Here's what I want to talk about for a little while. We can create our own doubts. And it's right at this point, I think, that the sequence of this story deserves really careful attention. Here's what I see, A, B, C, D, and E. Here's, here's what happens in this account. Jesus sent the disciples out in their boat. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, he made. And in my notes, I underlined made. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So when I see those words, he made, there's every reason to assume, I think, there's every reason to assume that Jesus knew about this storm, which means storms are not incompatible with the will of God. They were in that storm, in the boat, because they had listened to Jesus. Jesus said, now, go out in the boat. The sky is roaring. Black clouds, thunder, wind, lightning. It's it's not a cruise ship. This thing's getting tossed all over the place, bailing out buckets of water. They're terrified. So Jesus makes them go out as the storm is brewing. B, Jesus then goes up into the mountains to pray, seek the Father. During this time, the disciples were out in the boat, and it's already stormy. That's very important. It's already stormy while they're in the boat. C, Jesus then appears to the disciples walking on the water, and the storm is raging at this time. That's an important detail. What I'm trying to emphasize is The storm isn't a new factor in the equation. However difficult it was, they had already been in it for a while. There was no new factor to consider. They're out there in the storm as Jesus approaches. D, the disciples eventually recognize that it's Jesus walking toward them. Peter tells Jesus to invite him to walk on the water with him. Jesus does so. And I'm amazed. We just marvel at the rugged, out-of-the-boat confidence of Peter. He just shines. E, Peter steps out of the boat, walks on the turbulent sea, and remember, the storm is already raging when Peter decides to get out of the boat. That's a very important point. It's not that Peter stepped out of the boat the sea was calm, suddenly a storm came up, and Peter went, oh, man, help me, Jesus. I could understand that, but it's not what happened. 
Peter had already calculated on the storm before he got out of the boat. Where does this take us, this analysis? Well, we know for sure there was no new reason for Peter to look back on those waves again. They weren't a surprise. And, 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 and here's why this matters. We can see from a careful analysis of the account, Peter created his own doubts. Peter created his own doubts. He messed up his own head. He short-circuited his own faith. We know he took his eyes off Jesus. And what changed was not the storm. What changed was a shift in Peter's attention. He focuses on things that he shouldn't have been focusing on because he had already calculated them in when he stepped out of the boat. There was no reason for Peter to revisit the waves and the storm because they were blowing when he was walking on the water out of the boat. It's fascinating to see the way, I think, the Apostle Paul, he picks up and develops this theme of waves and looking at waves. You'll, you, you'll, you'll know the account, but maybe you didn't notice the connection before. Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, Paul writes about the church, Christians and the church. And he gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith, so he's talking about faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Waves. Paul, what waves are you talking about? Carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Those waves Paul's talking about that can, that can mess up people's faith Waves of false doctrine, false teaching. you got to look out for it, he says. You never get to the place where you won't have to look out for it. The waves of false doctrine aren't new. They only appear new to people who don't know their history and don't know their source. So there's this process of maturity that Paul talks about. It, and it's the ongoing Nature, the effort required, involves keeping a steadfast gaze at the Lord. Circumstances change in all sorts of directions. You can, you can choose what you want to give your mind to. You, know? you can choose the kind of things you want to watch on TV, the movies you go to, the company you keep, how you use the browser on your computer. You choose all those things, but don't think you can shift your focus to that, take your eyes off the Lord, and not have it affect your stability and your faith in life. It'll have a terrible effect. If I get careless or lazy on keeping my eyes on Jesus, staying close to Jesus, agreeing with everything Jesus said, that's what it means, by the way, to believe in Jesus. 
prayerfully make biblical decisions, refuse afterthoughts, refuse to dabble with the sins that tripped you up in the first place, refuse to go back to the ideas that locked your mind into disbelief and confusion. Put all your strength into keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's the thing about storms. They naturally just consume your attention. Looking to Jesus instead of the waves isn't natural. Maturity in faith takes a supernatural effort. Three, almost done. If you're going to stay on top of things, thinking of the waves, if you're going to stay on top of things, you need to keep looking to Jesus. So this miracle isn't just recorded for kind of that fun that makes us go, wow, what a cool miracle. There's something in this picture that we're constantly to keep alive. Storms come. Life can suddenly get dark and windy. People drown in those kinds of storms spiritually every day. But there's one who is majestic over all, one who triumphs, one who not only can walk on waves but can pick you up as well. Of course, everybody knows walking on the water is impossible. Everybody knows it's impossible. Satan's been telling me that a lot lately. He delights to point out everything that can't be done. He'll say it to you every day. He'll tell you the waves are too big. That marriage can't be saved. That situation is impossible. You build faith by looking to Jesus. Peter, Peter did walk on the water twice. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And I close with Jude 24, 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Keep looking to Jesus and not the waves. And everyone said... Amen.